0: Oh, what a wonderful hope we have! Without that, why, we wouldn't have uh, any assurance at all. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the Book of Philippians. I'll give you the text in uh, a little bit. And I'll tell you what I'm going to. I'm going to try to make it through standing. I don't know if I can do it or not, but uh, yeah. The Book of Philippians. Since my text is coming from the book of Philippians, anyone that knows me uh, knows what I think about uh, this book. Uh, I want to repeat something I've said so many times that uh, this book has been one of my greatest encouragements in my Christian life. I, from the very beginning, started drawing upon the the promises that God has given to his people. And throughout all of the journey, over and over and over again, I find myself finding something in Philippians that uh, ministers to my heart. I, as I go through there, and how, you know how you'll highlight your Bible in yellow in some places? Well, when I come to Philippians, it's just, you can just color everything yellow because uh, it all speaks to me in a special way. Uh, I think the shame is that a lot of folks don't realize the significance of that church there. They don't realize that the establishment of that church was one of the most important, maybe in some ways the most important event since the ascension of Christ back to heaven. The spiritual heritage of of the Western world is rooted in the fact that God sent paul west instead of east god knew exactly what he was doing and consequently contrary to what paul was getting ready to do he was going east and god said no i'm sending you west and he gets uh, to philippi and of course you'll remember the story of lydia the first convert there in europe and then the church was established that church became a generous supporter of Paul and his ministry. It was the one church that he could count upon to help him out in a time of need. And it was a church that was dear to his heart. He makes that perfectly clear. And uh, as I've said before, whenever we had established a church in Missouri many years ago, the first church that, that we'd ever started And when I left there, I read those very same verses from chapter number one, expressing the feelings of my heart for that church, just as Paul had for the church there at Philippi. He wrote this letter, first of all, to thank them for their support. Secondly, to warn them about divisions in the church. Thirdly, to encourage them. And in these four chapters... And we're not doing a study of this book this morning, and I just want to say this so you'll see how much is packed in these chapters here. He enables us to overcome circumstances. You know, circumstances are not always like we want them to be, but he enables us to overcome circumstances. He enables us to overcome people. You'll see that in chapter number 2. He enables us to have joy in spite of circumstances, people, things, or, or stuff that we worry about, God is able to help us to overcome. In chapter 1, He gives us the philosophy for Christian living. Chapter 2, we find the pattern for Christian living. Chapter 3 is the, is the prize for Christian living. And you find the power for it in chapter number 4. Now... With that in mind, and I'll get to the text here in just a little bit, but I want to ask a question this morning, and that's this. What comes to your mind when you think about this wicked world that we live in? You know, now I understand it might depend upon the day of the week or whatever you're going through at a particular time because, you know, our feelings about uh, about things change from day to day. So I understand that. But just in general, you know, what comes to your mind when you think about this wicked world? Well, we could make a long list, a lot of different possible words that we could use. We could, we could maybe think of the word sin. I mean, that would be appropriate. We think of this wicked world. You've got to think about the sinfulness of the world. Think about the suffering because where there's sin, there's going to be suffering. Think about sorrow. Maybe there's some other word that comes to your mind. But there's one word that just leaps off of the page at me when I think about this world. And that's the word struggling. Struggling. From the womb to the tomb, life is a struggle for everyone, And it's been that way ever since the fall of man. We live in a fallen, broken, upside down world uh, that has been cursed. And uh, due to that, well, we can expect that we're going to struggle. I'm speaking this morning about struggling saints. But when I say struggling saints, I don't mean to, and I don't want you to think about uh, that I'm just speaking about certain troubled Christians. When I talk about struggling saints, I'm talking about all of us, every child of God, because life is a struggle for everyone. There are no exceptions. Some people have the idea that, boy, if I just become a Christian, I, you know, the life's going to just solve all my problems. It's going to be easier, and uh, and that's the reasoning behind them becoming a Christian. You know, it'll get me out of this and get me out of that, and I'll have, finally have peace, and the fact of the matter is, when you get saved, you're going to have struggles that you never had before. You're going to face difficulties that you never dreamed about. Before a person is saved, the Bible says they're taken captive by the devil at his will. They're blinded to the glorious gospel. I mean, Satan has the unsaved person right where he wants them. Why bother people like that? He's got your, he doesn't have to do anything. Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do it. You did it because you got a sinful nature. That's why unsaved people do what they do. They're sinners. But for the Christian all of a sudden to have this transformation of a new nature, something they've never had before. Now they have desires that they've never had before and all of a sudden up jumps the devil, and now, mark it down, the world, the flesh, and the devil is going to attack you on every hand. You'll have struggles that other people don't know anything about. Let me tell you, you might be as godly as John the Baptist, and of course you're not. Neither am I. But were you as godly as John the Baptist, were you as wise and rich as Solomon? Could you preach like Paul? Sing like David? Pray like Elijah? You would still go through struggles in this life. There are going to be struggles of different sorts. All kinds of struggles to go through. Might be something of a physical nature. It might be an emotional problem. It might be a spiritual problem. Might have to do... With relationships, it might be vocational or it might be domestic, all sorts of different things that we struggle with. And there are different sizes in our struggles, because sometimes it's a minor little thing, you know, that we can just we can just scotch our feet and square our shoulders, and we, we can just get through that real easy. But then there are other sizes where sometimes they come in giant size struggles that we just can't get through on our own. And there are different seasons for struggles that we go through. A lot of times, you know, the young people they uh they think they've got struggles that you and I don't know anything about and they forget we used to be young. We know exactly how it is. There's different seasons and other people think, well those kids they don't have any problems. Well uh, you must have lost your memory then, because you had problems and struggles that you went through when you were young, and they 're going through it now now i don 't know what sort of struggle you might be going through this morning. I have no idea, but I know we all have struggles, and consequently, we ought to be interested in what God has to say about this, and I want you to I want you to think about what paul mentions and look in chapter 1 and verse 29 and here's the first thing about dealing with these struggles and that is that we are to expect struggles here in chapter 1 paul starts out speaking about his own struggles in verse 13 he talks about his bonds in christ are manifest in the palace and other places and he's talking about the difficulties that he's gone through and going through. Remember, he's in prison when he writes this letter. But verse 29, he says, For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Did you, did you get that? It's given unto you. It's almost like he's saying that that all of you, this is a gift all of you get. You don't want it, but here it is. It's given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Now notice, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Reading that tells me that we ought to expect struggles just like what paul went through the word translated suffer looking in verse number 19 there that means to experience or to undergo something we suffer we experience it webster feels says it's to feel or to bear what is painful disagreeable distressing either to the body or the mind now that's what webster says about it but look at verse 30 this gives us i think more insight Verse 30, notice the word conflict here. That means struggle. It means fight. It means trouble. And we all can identify with that. although our situations are different, all of us have struggles of some sort. You know, you might look at someone else and say, well, I, I wish I had it as good as they did. You know, they've got a, they've got a, a lot of money. They don't have any, any problems. Yeah, and they might have cancer. And we look at somebody else and we think, well, I wish I was as healthy as as they were. But look, there might be other kinds of problems that you don't know anything about. Things that you're totally unaware of. We all have struggles of some sort. Now listen, and it might or it might not be your fault. I said it might or it might not be your fault. The thing producing the struggle might not be the result of something you did that was wrong, or it might be the result of something you did that was wrong. But whether it's your fault or not, it's your problem. Struggles are a problem because you and I are not equipped on our own to deal with the kind of struggles that we're going to come against. The fact of the matter is that both the Bible and history also tells us that we ought to expect struggles. It's a part of of life. Some of the very best people have had the, the worst imaginable problems. And we scratch our head and we ask why. Why did it happen to them? How could that be? The best people having the worst problems. Here's John the Baptist, my. I mean, even Jesus said of those born among women, there's none greater than him, and he got his head chopped off. Think about the great apostle Paul and all of the suffering that he went through. It's just a part of life, and we're foolish to think that any of us can be exempt from that. The good thing about it is that Great things can come out of our serious problems. And th- th- think about Christ, for example, over in 1 Peter chapter number 2, and it talks about the sufferings of Christ. You know, we look at the cross of Christ and his suffering, the agony that he went through, the blood that was shed, and we look at that. We look at it one way and we think, oh, that, and, and it is, the, the worst injustice in the history of the world. And at the same time, it is for man, it becomes the greatest possible blessing for man. It's out of the depths of his suffering and his death that you and I have eternal life. And I'm saying we ought to expect these struggles because expecting them is helpful for us to endure them. You know, if you thought becoming a Christian is going to get you out of... Struggles why well, you're wrong, and you can't escape them, but you can endure them, and that's why you've got to expect them. I remember when the end of the seventh grade, and you know got out of elementary school and into junior high now, and we had a, a coach there by the name of coach Fraley, Rex Fraley, was his name. And, and and he decided that uh, he was going to have a boxing club, and he was going to put all the boys in, instead of the regular gym class. That he was going to teach us all how to box. In fact, one of those boys, out of that very class, one of the boys I went to school with, knew very well, friends with, one of those boys became the United States Naval champion, undefeated in boxing and uh, whenever he was in the seventh and eighth grade we had high schoolers coming over challenging him and none of them ever beat him but I say all of that to say this the first thing that he taught us other than the fact to keep your arms up because you're going to get tired I didn't know your arms could get that tired but he taught us you got to have a good foundation that is your feet You can't be out there willy-nilly, staggering around, dancing around. But you've got to have that good foundation under you because you've got to expect what's coming. And a lot of times we get knocked for a loop in our life when something bad happens to us because some way Satan convinced us that we're just, why nothing bad like that could ever happen to us. Now, I'm telling you, you might as well get ready for it. You say, well, I deserve better than that. Well, you better get ready for it even sooner then. Because none of us deserve anything whatsoever. And if we're not expecting it, we're going to get knocked off of our spiritual feet. Secondly, we need to endure those struggles. Paul makes that so clear over and over and over. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. But look here in Philippians chapter 1 again, and look at verse 27 this time. Verse 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand notice here it is stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and then in chapter 4 he basically says the same thing over here tells us that we are to stand fast so whatever the struggle is we are we are to endure those struggles And if we're going to be a success in life at anything, we've got to be able to endure whatever comes against us. Because if there's not a conflict, there'll never be a crown. We win our crowns by being faithful to God throughout the struggles of life. And we need to remember that we're not excused from duty just because it's difficult, nor because it's dangerous. When Jesus sent His disciples into the world, He sent them right into the teeth of the storm. And He let them know they're going to be hated and despised. They're even going to be put to death. So we're not relieved of our responsibility just because the road's rough. We're obligated to endure whatever it is that God appoints or whatever it is that God allows in our life. You say, well, how in the world, preacher, if you knew what I was going through, if you knew how difficult this was, how can you expect me to endure something like this? Well, I'll tell you one thing that will help, and that is for you to remember that struggles are beneficial. They're beneficial, that is, if we have the right attitude about them. You think about, you know, the... the the butterfly, the struggle that it goes through uh, to become a butterfly. Our development depends upon our difficulties. Some of our greatest blessings come out of the painful things that we'd never choose for ourselves. We'd never vote for it. We'd never say, this is what I want. But God allows it anyway. And He does so in such a way that that he can honestly say all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. And the problem is not that life is difficult. The problem is that too many give up too easy and fail to endure. Every Christian ought to resolve with all of their heart that they will never give up. But let me tell you, endurance takes more than just a firm resolve that I'm going to be a tough guy. Others might fail, but I'm going to get through this. I've got a wagon load of determination, and I'm going to make it whether they think I can or not. No, no, it's going to take more than that. It's going to take God's help. And if you're going to get God's help, you have to be doing what His Word says, first of all, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Consider Him, because if you don't, what? If you don't, you're going to get weary. If you don't, you're going to falter. You're going to fail without that. If I wanted to do a longer study, I'd go back to that favorite chapter of mine, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'd start with chapter 3, verse 18, and go through that. It tells us how we can be a success in spite of the most terrible, horrible problems that we ever have to face. But I'll tell you right now, we can't expect to endure if we've got just a half-hearted relationship with God. That, that doesn't work. Sometimes we forget that what God requires, he does so for our own good. It's not because he has some gigantic ego that, that he wants uh, to be filled. So if I'm going to succeed at anything, it'll have to be the result of me surrendering myself to his will. Because without doing that, no amount of effort will ever be enough. Let me tell you something else about these struggles, and this might sound a a bit odd. We need to embrace our struggles. One of my favorite sections is over in Acts chapter number 20, and the heart-stirring statement that Paul makes there. It is amazing. You'll remember that Paul, of course, is... uh, knowing that he's going to be hated, knowing that he's going to be beaten, he's going to be in prison. And he said in verse 22, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, saith the Holy Ghost, witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thinking that just maybe I'd, think maybe I ought to go somewhere else head in a different direction but he said but none of these things move me neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God what a, a amazing story that is to think about his determination he was embracing this struggle not running from it it's obvious that paul was not looking for an easy way out but he was willing to embrace it he was willing to engage the struggle that he knew was going to come and uh that's exactly what our attitude ought to be because let me tell you something about these struggles there. They're not things that we choose, but they're things that are thrust upon us. We would never choose it, you know, ourselves, but they're thrust upon us. All of that tells me that here's the bottom line, that we need to choose to do the hard things. The average person takes the easy road, the path of least resistance. That's why the entitlement mentality is so popular in America. We've got a young generation now crying out for socialism that are too stupid to read the history books and see that it's never worked anywhere. But they think they're getting something for nothing. They want everything delivered on a silver platter. The easy road never is the road that leads to victory or to greatness. If we're going to do anything, we have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to stretch ourselves beyond our limits. I read the story of a preacher's son. His daddy was a missionary. They were raised in Africa, in fact. And uh, so one day, he and his brother, they decided that, and this time he's older now he's a pastor and he and his brother i don't know for old time's sake or whatever they're going to go whitewater rafting and they're going to do it there in the Zimbab- zimbazi river and there at the victoria falls that that's like a thousand feet down and they're going to start right there at the base of the the base of those falls and they're going to go down through the white water rapids and so as they're getting their gear in the boat and tightening everything down and getting ready the guide said to them he said now when the raft flips over he didn't say if the raft flips over he didn't say the raft might flip over He said, when the raft flips over, stay in the rough water. He said, you're going to have a tendency to want to go over there to the slow moving water over along the bank, the stagnant water where it's quiet and it looks like there's no resistance. And He said, that's exactly where the crocodiles are waiting for someone to do something like that. You do that and you'll never get out of it. Stay in the rough water. And i tell you, we Christians need to learn to stay in the rough water instead of just choosing the things that are easy and the things that are pleasurable. Stay in the rough water. Staying on the course that God has set for us. That's why I say we've got to embrace these struggles that come our way, and then there's one more thing about it that might sound more foolish to you than what I just said, and that is that we enjoy what comes from these struggles because life is tough doesn't mean it's terrible it's tough for everyone, regardless of the experiences. There's the possibility as Christians that we can enjoy life. In other words, we can delight in our difficulties. Paul did. So I've learned to be content, whatever state I'm in, doesn't matter to me. I can have a little, have a lot. It doesn't matter because he said I can be content wherever I am, you know. Listen, if he could, we can because we serve the same God he served. And that ought to encourage us. I know it sounds crazy to some people, but it isn't. And listen, the struggle itself is not something that is enjoyable. But even though it's not enjoyable, we can rejoice in it. That's what he tells us, Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord. And I'll guarantee you there's some folks, if you told them, look, you need to learn to rejoice. They'd get angry. They, the first thing they would do is to begin to enumerate all of the problems that they have. Oh, listen, if you was in my shoes, if you was going through what I'm going through, you wouldn't be saying that. I've got a right to, I've got a right to not be happy. I've got a right to be sour. I've got a right to grieve. No, you don't. We have a command that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And then Paul, he knew he was going to have problems with this because he turns right around and says, and I say unto you again, rejoice. It's not that we rejoice in the pain of the struggle, but we rejoice in the Lord. And that never changes. That never changes. Struggles are the very things that can make us successful In doing God's will. Remember Paul. Going through his struggles there in 2 Corinthians. In chapter number 12. There's a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. And I've often said. You know if anyone was good enough. That they ought to have been exempt from. From those kind of problems. I, I would think it would have been Paul. But even the great. Apostle Paul had these problems, and he goes to the Lord three times, and he's begging the Lord, please, Lord, remove this. I don't know the exact terminology he might have used. He might have, you know, how we tend to do. He might have said, Lord, don't you remember what I did for you? Don't you remember the sacrifices I made, the suffering that I went through? Lord, don't don't you remember that? Why are you letting this happen to me now? We don't read anything like that. He just in prayer asked the Lord, and finally the Lord told him that he said, I'm not going to remove it. You've got to live with it, Paul. I know it's a struggle, but I'm expecting you to to live with it, and you can because my grace is sufficient. My grace is... Isn't that wonderful to know that God's grace is sufficient for anything and everything that we'll ever have to face in life? And then Paul made this amazing thing. He said, "For, for when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong." He said, "We get it backwards." We think we're really strong, you know, whenever we think of ourselves as being strong, we've got our act together and we're not going through any suffering and we don't have any problems and no, that's not when we're strong in a spiritual sense. It's whenever the bottom of our world falls out and we realize the only thing that we have to cling to that's going to really help us is God. It's only then that we realize what great strength is possible. He gives us the strength not to escape our trials, but to endure our struggles. Here's the wonderful thing about these struggles. And that's the fact that he is the strength for our struggles. The Lord is the, he's the strength for our struggles because we don't have enough ourselves. There's no way that we could ever win the battle. But he imparts to us the strength that we need to win the victory. Look in chapter number 3 of Philippians. I believe it's in verse 21 if I remember right. Verse 30, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death. Now get this, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Speaking about Epaphroditus now who was evidently their pastor who had gone all the way there to visit with with Paul. And to take him some funds. And here is a man that, at the risk of his life, was willing to do anything to be a blessing to others. Chapter 3 and verse 20 For our conversation, and that word conversation doesn't mean uh, what we think of conversation, that means our citizenship. Our citizenship is where in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working, whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Notice he is reminding them that your citizenship is in heaven. You know, the problem is we want, we, we want heaven now. We want heaven here. And we don't realize we don't realize the fact that it's not about you it's about god it's not about It's not about here and now it's about what God has provided. Our citizenship is in heaven. We can enjoy whatever we're going through because we know that in the end, when we stand before Christ. If we've done our duty, we can hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I mean, just knowing, that that's not just a possibility, that's the probability. That's the absolute promise of God for those that are faithful to God. Many years ago, there was a faithful missionary couple in Africa, been there for many, many years their health was gone and finally they were so defeated and discouraged they were fearful and so it reached a point in their life where they just couldn't go on and so they retired was headed back to to New York and it so happened that Teddy Roosevelt had been over there on one of his famous big game hunts and uh, as they were boarding the ship just as he was and well, everybody was all clamoring around the president there, and all of them had come to see him off, leaving Africa, going back to the to the states. And uh, the old missionary couple sat there, and nobody said a word to them. And finally, the the man he said something's wrong. He said. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for God in Africa all of these many years and have no one here to care anything about us? And here's a man comes back from a hunting trip and look at all, they're making all over him, but nobody gives a hoot about us is the word he used. Nobody gives a hoot about us. No, the wife said, dear, you shouldn't feel that way. He said, I can't help it. It just doesn't seem right. And He has this on his mind all of the way back to finally whenever they get back to the docks there in New York. Whenever they get there, the mayor is out there. All the reporters are out there. All the dignitaries... Welcome the president back to the States. There's nobody standing there waiting on the old missionary couple. And now he is just crushed and he is broken and distraught. And that night he said to his wife, He said, He said, I just I can't take, I can't take this. God's not treating us fairly. And his wife replied, why don't you go into the bedroom and tell that to God? And he did. He went in the other room, into the bedroom. After a while, he comes out, and there's a pleasant look on his face. She said, what did he say? He said, I told him how I felt. And he said, it was almost like there was a hand on my shoulder and a and a voice in my ear saying, son, you're not home yet. And we need to remember that, folks. We're not home yet. We're, we're Listen, we are in a fallen, wicked world, and we're going to face struggles from the beginning to the very end. And there's no way out of it. But thank God, because of the Lord, there's a way through it, and that way through it is the grace of God. Don't dare throw in the towel. Don't you dare give up. Don't quit on God. He never quit on you. I love that verse talking about the Lord there as he's going into the garden. and said, and he went a little further. He went a little further. And you could say that about the entirety of his life over and over. He went a little further, went a little further. Thank God he went far enough to provide salvation for each and every one of us. You might be here today and you're thinking to yourself, preacher, I, 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 I'm just at the end of my rope. I, I, I'm a wit's end. I don't know what to do. My problems are so overwhelming. I, I, I don't know how to deal with them anymore. Just bring it to the Lord. And keep in mind the promises that God made. And by the way, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, wouldn't you like to serve a God like that? A God that says, my grace will get you through whatever, whatever you come up against. And he's that kind of God And we could have one person after another, after another. Look look at all of us folks with gray hair. Every one of us could tell you something about what God's done in our life and what he did for us, he can do for you. Stuart Hamlin had it right. What he's done for others, he can do for you. But you have to trust him. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. I don't know what God might be speaking to your heart about. I'm going to ask you, though, not to leave. I have an announcement to make in just a little while. But if God's speaking to your heart about anything whatsoever, now would be a good time to to deal with it. If you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, Maybe maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, I I don't know what to do. I I want to be a Christian, but I don't know. Come come and let us take the Bible and show you how you can know beyond all doubting that you're a child of God while we sing.